Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and welcome to Safety Talk. We are dedicated to improving your personal safety and thanks for listening to another episode here with us. I'm here with my co-host Neil Haley. And on the show, we interview experts that are able to share their knowledge and their insight in their particular area of expertise. And, you know, these experts are able to provide you with insights, share simple tips and effective information, techniques, and technologies that can help keep you safe both online and offline. And today, Neil and I are excited to be joined by Andrew Kobos, who will be joining us on Safety Talk today. And uh, Andrew's a graduate from the United States Military Academy at West Point. And after graduating, he has held positions as a platoon leader, as an executive officer, as a unit mentor and trainer. And as a lieutenant, he has also conducted security operations with the Secret Service for the President and Air Force One. So it was a very interesting gentleman we have today. Uh, in addition, he was also deployed twice to combat in Iraq. And so, Andrew, I want to thank you from myself and Neil and our, you know, all our listeners for thank you for your service, sir. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's great to be on. So uh, it was there that he planned. He led security operations during the Iraq constitutional referendum and the national elections, uh, national elections rather. So he's also supervised training and equipment maintenance for Iraqi police officers and also special operations officers, and has dealt with hostage rescue, uh, terrorism prevention, and combat operations. And during his second combat tour, he was actually awarded the Bronze Star Medal. And for those of you that may not know what that is, it's awarded to members of the U.S. Armed Forces for either heroic achievement or service or meritorious achievement or service in a combat zone. So congratulations big time to Andrew for that. Uh, He's now a lawyer. Thank you very much. Absolutely, sir. Uh, So he's now a lawyer and he currently focuses on various aspects of commercial and bankruptcy litigation and has handled a wide range of those cases. So one of the things we're going to be talking about a little later in the podcast is a current lawsuit involving soldiers and faulty equipment that they were issued that may be of particular interest to our listeners who are currently serving or may have past military service. So, Andrew, welcome to Safety Talk. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for that uh, very nice introduction. <laughs> well, you know, having uh, somebody in the, you know, the military with us is something that, you know, we have to make sure that we recognize you in your service because without guys like you and ladies like you who, you know, they're out there serving, they are making sure that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do here in this country. And, you know, you protect people abroad as well as in this country. And it's, it's a huge responsibility. So thank you. Well, and, and let me just add uh, to that, you know, uh, I, it's a pleasure to do that. It's a pleasure to serve my country, but it's also a two-way street. And um, I, I learned so much from my time in the army and I was able to, to gain so much leadership experience leading soldiers and doing something that I, uh, th- that I found, uh, to be worthwhile. And so, uh, so my life has been greatly impacted by the leaders that, that I followed in combat and elsewhere in the army. And so, uh, I've been, I've been truly benefited by, uh, by that experience. So Andrew, did you growing up before joining the military have that kind of respect and also, willingness to learn because that's a hard trait to teach yeah um willingness to learn yeah i i think that i was always naturally curious 
um, I always wanted to find out uh, why things worked and, you know, why certain people were successful when other people weren't successful. And, and I've always uh, looked up to folks that I thought modeled uh, leadership characteristics and, and other characteristics that made them successful. Uh, one of the people uh, that I looked to most was my brother. So right in my own house, and he was one of these typical overachievers. And he went off to West Point. And I said, man, if, uh, if that guy can go off and get accepted into West Point, then he's doing something right. Maybe I should uh, follow in those footsteps. And sure enough, a few years later there, I found myself. Um, so, so yeah, I, yeah. So, so, I have been very blessed to have a lot of folks in my life who I've been able to look at and say, wow, there goes a great uh, role model and a great example. And, and uh, also, and, and I think that this is, you know, one thing that I think that, you know, maybe civilians discount is that you can learn just as many lessons from people who fail and from the bad leaders. Look at them and say, hey, you know what? They've done a bunch of things that I want to avoid. Those are pitfalls. And so, uh, you know, just as far as lessons go, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from both successful people and unsuccessful people. Sure. Learn from your mistakes, right? <laughs> Otherwise you're doomed to repeat them. So, you know, absolutely. being, being in the military, obviously you get specialized training that civilians do not. And that's something that, you know, people, you know, they, they're not really prepared in the same fashion. So maybe you could share with the listeners what, you would say is maybe one of your biggest lessons or maybe some of the, the big lessons that you lear- learned with regards to safety uh, from West Point and then maybe even after uh, that in your time, you know, in active duty? Sure. Um, and, and that's such a broad question that it's, it's tough to narrow it down to one lesson or, or one instance uh, because everything in the military involves some component of risk. And in the military, it's a lot about managing risk. You know, we know that we're going to uh, be taking on risk. We know that the things that we do are risky. So how do we best prepare ourselves to understand that there are steps that we need to take to mitigate that risk? Um, and, and so the Army does a very good job at training its leaders to identify those risks and, uh, and to respond to them. Um, early in my career, when I was at West Point, one of the, one of the things that I found through failure um, we were out on the field and we were doing training exercises and, uh, I, I didn't unpack my gear after one mission and it had rained and uh, all my stuff got full of mildew. And the next time we were out on the field, we were there for two and a half weeks and I opened up my rucksack and sure enough, oh. everything that I owned had mildew oh, all over geez. it. And I, uh, oh, I, I was, I, I discarded that stuff out in the forest and I just sat there and it happened to be in a, in New York's rainy season. And so I got rained on for two and a half weeks straight. And I thought there's a lesson, there's a safety lesson right there, is that, you know, as much as we say you got to be prepared and you have to take every step you can now uh, to avoid failure in the future, that was something that I learned the tough way. And uh, yeah, <laughs> after that, you better believe that, that I uh, unpacked my gear and made sure that that stuff wasn't wet. So, Andrew, how did you learn to deal with failure? Because... In the military or any type of really stressful, challenging, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail to learn. And uh, that's the hardest thing I think a lot of people that are not willing to get get out of their comfort zone, especially the military will teach you to get out of your comfort zone by learning how to fail. Well, there's just so much failure. I mean, I've, I've failed a thousand times. I've failed 10,000 times. Um 
you got to learn from those mistakes, though. And that's what the military allows you to do, is to learn from those mistakes. Um, it's best that you learn how to fail when people's lives aren't at stake. And, um, you know, I've, I've unfortunately uh, made failures both at times when, uh, you know, the situation wasn't quite as dire and at other times when there were very dire situations and circumstances. Um, the one commonality, though, is that I was able to learn from those mistakes and not repeat those mistakes. Um, and, and, you know, it's important, and, and I tell my soldiers this, and I learned this early on in my career, um, people are going to make mistakes. People are going to fail. And it's important to identify when there's a mistake of the mind and a mistake of the heart. Uh, a mistake of the mind is something that, that you know, was avoidable, but you just, you know, you, you had a mishap, right? There was one mission that I forgot a map. And so my platoon drove around this city in Iraq uh, looking for the location that we were supposed to arrive at. And I was trying to direct them to that location, but, of course, I didn't have a map. And, uh, and, and that was a, an embarrassing mistake and something that I regret doing. Ultimately, nobody was hurt in the end, but gosh, you know, I went back and every time after that, I learned, hey, I've got to do my pre-combat inspections and my pre-combat checks, not just enforcing them on my soldiers, but enforcing them on myself and, and uh, instituting a system of accountability where I tell my platoon sergeant, look, man, you know, you've got to check up on me too, because I'm not immune from failure. And so we had that system going on. Uh, but a mistake of the heart, that's something that's much worse. That's much worse because that's when somebody knows the difference between right and wrong, and they choose wrong. And I know that later on we're going to talk about these earplugs. We're going to talk about this big lawsuit going on with a 3M company. They knew that there were defective products out there, and that was a mistake of the heart. They knew that those things were wrong, and they issued equipment to soldiers, knowing that soldiers were going to use that equipment in combat and uh, and just – Said throwing their hands up, saying, look, we don't care. We don't care that soldiers are going to have to rely in combat on faulty equipment. That's a, a mistake of the worst kind. That's a mistake of the heart. Um, yeah, that's, but yeah, that's failure terrible. all around. So would you say that that's one of the biggest lessons that serving taught you was the value of preparedness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the value of preparedness, the value of keeping people around me that, are, uh, that I can trust, um, there's a lot of lessons there, but, uh, but yeah, certainly those are some of the most important. So to sort of translate this now towards the civilian population, which is obviously the majority is, you know, civilians for the most part are woefully unprepared for various problems, disasters, you know, what have you. And, you know, we've seen things happen all the time, you know, we had something happen this week. Uh, I'll talk about a little, you know, bit later about the, the, sh the workplace shooting that happened in Illinois. But you know, how would civilians, or how should civilians, prepare themselves for disasters? Whether it is something like an active shooter situation, or you know, a workplace safety uh, problem, or even a criminal encounter, where you know, using something that maybe the military taught you or does teach their soldiers, maybe how that can sort of apply to a civilian who's thinking, you know what, I don't have that military training. I don't know how to manage risk the same way. I've never been taught that. What can I do in my life to protect myself and my family as I go about my day? Yeah, great question, Adam. Um, a lot of that is is 
perhaps intuitive, right? You know what risks are you're most likely to encounter, right? So I, I sat down with my wife and, and for our little family, we came up with a game plan and we said, okay, you know, what are, what are the hazards here? And one of the hazards that we identified were fires. We got a, we got a two-story house. And so we said, okay, well, if there's a fire in this house, this is an old house that was built in the 1930s, and uh, the risk of fire is probably greater than in some other places. And so we got a little fire evacuation stairs that we can drop down from the second floor. I think we have five fire extinguishers in the house, right? So this is one that we ended up paying a lot of attention to. Um, but it all goes back, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you've got to be prepared. You've got to be able to anticipate uh risks that may come your way. And some some risks are very difficult to anticipate. And some we don't even want to think about. I don't even want to think about an instance where there's a school shooter because I've got kids and that's one of my biggest fears. One of the biggest fears in the world is feeling uh, this sense of helplessness when you see something that's going on that you can't control. Um, and for that reason, you know, it's, we made a decision that we we're going to enroll our kids at a school where uh, there were safety precautions, there were safety measures, and they valued those type of drills, and they had locks on the doors and all the rest of that. And so that's a, a component of, I suppose, being prepared. And, you know, maybe we have the capacity to do that, whereas other people don't. Um, but, but see, I think again, that, and that, see, that's where, well, yeah, and what you're saying, though, I, is one of the things that I say to people all the times, and one of my, my taglines is the need to prepare is before the need arises. And anybody, right. you know, you don't have to be in the military to identify the risks to your safety or the safety of your family. If you live in an area that's prone to earthquakes, you prepare for that. If you're in an area that's prone to wildfires, like say out in California during certain times of the year, you prepare for that. You have things ready to go if you have to leave your home at a moment's notice. Like, an easy way to grab your important papers, uh, photographs, and things like that, that you are irreplaceable. And being able to identify those risks that exist in your daily life as you go about your day, you know, where you're driving, where you're going to the gym, where you're going to school, where you're going to work, and identifying the risks to your personal safety that can exist at every point during your day and where you are, Simply thinking about that and doing a little bit of preparation is going to put you miles ahead of the person, like you said, who denies it or ignores it or buries their head in the sand and says, you know what, it's just too much, it's too overwhelming, I can't even think about it. That, I think, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest mistake that somebody can make. Right. Yeah, and having the personal yes. courage to yeah. be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about security and safety, Pete was bringing up on the show last week that because you were in the military, you're probably more alert in civilian life than other people are, correct? Looking, focusing on what's going on in the environment, making sure that everyone's safe. And it's a good thing, but most people don't look at these things as we talk about that workplace violence that happens or different things that happen all the time. So how do you kind of present it so that it doesn't seem like, Oh my gosh, whoever's around you, you're just constantly seem paranoid <laughs> kind of explain how you try to work on that. Pete sounds like sometimes he does sound like that. I'd be walking around with him and Stephen would be here six foot 10 and Pete would be like, I'm watching this guy here. I said, Pete, you're a, you're a black belt in karate. 
I'm 6'10", 280. I think we'll, we'll be able to handle ourselves out in the streets. Yes, but you wouldn't be able to handle yourself against an automatic weapon. So then what do you do? You know, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Superman, it can't bounce off us. So there are things that you still have to think about that, yeah, maybe somebody's not going to come up to you and try to push you around, <laughs> you know, because of, you know, you being intimidating, looking size-wise or uh, just the way you because of your skill set. So, I mean, I think one of the things is we need to identify why you know, and then, you know, this this kind of goes to you there, Andrew, is why are so many civilians sort of blasé about security and safety? Is it because it's just um, too, too touchy? Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> well, I, maybe it's too touchy. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe they uh, they don't have safety as a priority. Right. Maybe they uh, maybe they are afraid to think through the various scenarios because, uh, it's not something that uh, that either excites them or maybe they don't feel the need to do it. Um, I, I don't really have the answer why so many people psychologically can't come to a point where they address some of those very real issues. Uh, I will tell you that in my personal life, I take uh, a lot of time and effort to address those. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know why the population at large is so blasé. Um, I, th- I, th- I do think, though, they are more people are starting to come around as they see things happening in the news. But at the same time, I think from the people that I talk to regularly, they feel they can't do anything. It's like, well, if somebody comes into my work and starts shooting a place up, what am I going to do? I'm like, well, there are several things that you can do and you need to learn what they are so that God forbid something does happen. You at least know, where you're going to go to. You have a plan. You know where your exits are. You try to get there. If you can't do that, you go to the next step and then the next step and the next step. And if something happens and ultimately you are hurt or killed in the process, at least you had a plan and you were doing something to give yourself, you know, that fighting chance. Mm-hmm. Well, but I wouldn't just isolate it to, to shootings because, you know, maybe oh, when definitely. people think about security, they say, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about shootings. But I would just extend that to everything. Look, I mean, there's everybody is three meals away from, you know, what is it? What was it saying? Three meals away from a riot. Yeah. You know, what happens if the monetary supply uh, goes belly up? You know, it's important to have some type of, uh, you know, food. It's important to have some type of collateral that might be valuable. You know, it's important to have some type of uh, protection mechanism. It's important to have some type of fire safety plan. It's important to have, you know, all those different things that, yeah. Gosh, it would take it would take a long time to be able to list those things and say, do we have a contingency plan yes. for all these different possibilities, all these scenarios that could arise? And there's a thousand of them, but it all starts with taking a first step, and that is, you know, what are most fundamental to me? What are the basics in addressing those things? And then branch out from right, there. Right. Right. And sure. And I guess also planning is sometimes a difficult thing for some people. Preparing. Uh, in case of emergencies, a difficult thing for people. So when you add those different components till somebody educates them or something, God forbid, happens, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. Well, and it takes a, a great degree of self-discipline, too. I mean, think about it. We, you know, one, one of the most fundamental things to, I guess, a person's well-being or safety would be to have, you know, some type of a, a savings account, some savings that are tucked away in a rainy day fund that, you know, if 
if, you know, God forbid you need to rely on it, then you could go and you could pull some money out of that, right? But, you know, what are the savings rates? Now, in the United States, I think that most people are, you know, are, are very reluctant to put money aside or to save for retirement or to, you know, do whatever they otherwise should be doing to ensure that they would be, uh, they would be okay in the event that some type of, you know, disaster wiped out, you know, all their money or, you know, I don't know what, you know, so the dollar went belly up or something like that. And there are definitely so, a lot of scenarios that can cause major problems to someone's well-being and safety and security. Uh, yes, that's that's a huge thing. And obviously not just dealing with some sort of active shooter event, but problems from Mother Nature. You could have, you know, something where it, there is major economic upheaval. There could be something that occurs from the, to the monetary system. There are so many things you know, an EMP detonates over the U.S., you know, takes out all the electronics. What would you do? You know, like you said, people are three meals away from a riot. They have very little savings. Most people live paycheck to paycheck. And I think part of the problem is they feel so overwhelmed that they don't know, well, what is step one? What should I be doing to just even get started? And they start to think about it and they get overwhelmed. And so they do nothing. Well, and and so as long as we're on the topic of I guess, identifying differences between folks who maybe have a military background and the population at large, I think that that's a huge component. Is that as, a, as an Army leader, I was taught, look, you got to start somewhere, right? At the most fundamental level, identify something and start there and create a plan. And plan A is not going to survive. Plan A never survives. Plan B rarely survives. Okay? So go on to plan C and be able to adapt. I think that that's another key trait that the Army taught me, and once again, through trial and error, which was when your plans fail, what do you do? Okay. Do you kind of panic and run? Do you throw up your hands in the air? Do you give up? Or do you, uh, I guess, you know, reconcile in your mind that, look, I'm going to come up with some different solution to combat the problem that I'm facing, whatever it may be. And that's, uh, that's a huge part of it is the mindset. And one of the, one of the trainings that I do is, and one of the speeches I do is called the warrior mindset. And it's all about how to basically use the traits of a warrior to get over, around, through, under, whatever, any obstacle that stands in your way, anything that, that prevents you from getting to where you have to go. And then applying those traits to your personal life, to your relationships, to your professional career in dealing with coworkers and your boss. And so having that certain mentality is a huge advantage for those who go into the military because it teaches you how to adapt and to think on your feet and to come up with those contingency plans. And I think if more civilians were exposed to the whole concept of, okay, what do I do? What are the plans that I have for these different scenarios? And it could be a physical issue like we're talking about. But again, a large part of what people have to worry about today involves their online safety and security. And so how do you deal with problems that arise or could arise to you if your identity was stolen or if your financial accounts or investment accounts were hacked? And how do you prevent that from happening? And so it's such a broad sort of uh, problem when we take into account our dependency on technology 
and our sort of feeling of being overwhelmed with all of the different ways that we could have a problem happen to us that, uh, you know, that is what I think causes a lot of the inaction. And so uh, I guess we, we have to educate people. And we have to start somewhere, as you said, you start with one thing and how do I build a plan around that? And if that plan doesn't work, then what do I do? And if that plan doesn't work, what do I do? And, you know, you don't have to go crazy, right? I mean, you don't have to be super paranoid, but it's a matter of being prepared. And if you're prepared, guess what? That builds confidence, as you know. And if you're confident in knowing what you're going to do, if this were to happen or if that were to happen, now that you have the opposite of paranoia, you have confidence, you don't have fear, you understand that you know what will ha- what you will do when this, this, or this were to occur. Right. And that's exactly. And, 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 and you know, that, we, yeah. And we ahead. talked about also when he, when Peter, Pete was talking about, you know, security online, that's another thing where we have our guard down. <laughs> we let information go out online that can really destroy us either by just doing it without knowing it or just going out there on social media or different places and uh, destroying ourselves by being seen doing something that could come back to haunt us later on. It's a big problem. It's a big problem online. And, you know, people need to realize that there are so many sort of breadcrumbs that they leave in their online lives that it doesn't take much work for somebody to get in to build an online profile of you for purposes of whatever, whether it's steering your identity or if you're somebody who's maybe a successful business person that becomes the target of some sort of financial crime, you know, some ransomware attack. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me throw this in because uh, my profession now is I'm a lawyer, right? And I handle a lot of, I, I handle plaintiff's law. And mm-hmm. I do a lot of cases on, on behalf of individuals, and we go up against corporations very frequently. And, uh, and it's always interesting to me that some of the best evidence that I find are on Facebook and on Twitter and all the rest of it. And, you know, folks are so protective about their emails, their company emails, because they don't want, uh, you know, whoever controls the IT department, they don't want them to see what they're sending out. And yet they're willing to go onto Facebook and post all kinds of silly stuff that becomes exhibit number one at trial. And so I can't tell you how frequently it happens. Exactly. I'll just, you know, whenever I get a defendant, I'll just meander right through their social pages and I'll just start picking stuff off and saying, this is what I'm going to use in this case. And uh, it, it happens every single case, every single case. Unbelievable. That's unbelievable. That, I, I, that probably is. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, you are also an attorney. And so having that... Uh, you know, in your, uh, you know, range of skills now, um, and you've handled a wide range of litigation, you know, you, you uh, I was reading it, you know, you have uh, dealt with, you know, fraudulent uh, transfers and uh, against corporations for breach of their duties and claims and liability and stuff like that. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that's a perfect segue into, into this part of it, which is the legal side of safety and i oh, would yeah, love to huge. get to, yeah. to love to get your thoughts andrew on what you're seeing that people are maybe doing not doing or should be doing to improve or i guess not improve, but to reduce their chances of having a legal problem 
these days as it as it pertains to I guess both online and offline we could take tackle both sides of it yeah that's that's also a, a huge question I probably could uh <laughs> you know, we could probably have a series of podcasts about that um you know people people frequently I, I guess lose track of how to act like a rational person right they go out there and they you know drink and drive right or they um, you know, drive way too fast. A lot of times it happens where you have these commercial truckers who are out there on the road and, and, you know, they don't take precautions. They don't do their pre-combat checks and they have tires that explode on the side of the road and sends the 18 wheeler out of control. And so we've had a lot of cases like that. Um, but yeah, if, if folks took the time to make sure that the actions that they took were safe, then you'd have a lot fewer lawsuits. But the fact is that, you know, folks don't do that. They get caught up in their everyday lives and they act in a manner that our society says, hey, you know what, if you gotta, if you have a situation, the only way to resolve it is through a lawsuit, right? You can't go and be a vigilante. Uh, and, and so if you got a problem, you got a little car wreck, then you got to take that to court. And so there are very frequently, especially nowadays, with uh, mobile devices being used to the extent that they're being used. And you find all kinds of car wrecks, and they frequently have the common thread of people who are texting or Facebooking or, you know, whatever the case might be when they're driving. And that's, so that's uh, the, I'd love current. to know that. I'd love to know. Okay, so if there's a let's say you know somebody's driving down a road tonight and they get into a car accident, and it was because they were, you know, checking a, a post on their Facebook page. Is it? I I, I would assume it's within the legal. Uh, right of the attorney and the system to go and subpoena records to say, hey, the accident occurred at, you know, 932 in the evening. At 932 in the evening, there was, you know, somebody was was accessing their account and texting. And so now that all of a sudden becomes sort of the the smoking gun that says, well, you're at fault. And I bet you social media, it's easier to grab faster. Right. If you did a Facebook post uh-huh. or Twitter post, because it's time stamped much easier than having to go back to the phone company if they deleted it on uh, something else. It's easier to grab the time yeah. stamp of it uh, on social media. Am I right or wrong on that? Abs, a hundred percent right. And 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 it happens to such a degree that it's involved in every single case. Whenever we send out discovery in a lawsuit, you know, we, we don't even, if, if we're suing the individual who caused the accident, we don't even have to throw a subpoena out there. We can just request it in the course of discovery because they're a defendant. And, wow. and it's, it's one of the first things we ask for. Okay. Send me every single text that you sent the day of the incident. And I want to see where it's timestamped, you know, all the Facebook messages you sent. And we're just going to look at those timestamps. We're going to look at all the metadata. To, uh, to decipher what this person was doing during that time and to try to create a trail or establish a pattern where we can show that that person frequently texts when they drive. And so it's not out of the norm if you know there was a text that was deleted because they have a pattern of practice of doing this very thing. Right? Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that's but fantastic. And, and so it comes back, it comes back and really bites folks when they're doing it in the course and scope of their work, right? So I have a case where uh, there was a guy who, uh, a truck, ran into my client's vehicle from behind. And he was checking the GPS on, on his device. 
And the first thing he did is he ran up to my guy and he said, please don't sue me. Please don't sue me. You know, I'm going to get fired from my job because I wasn't supposed to be checking this GPS. And, you know, he's, he's trying to evoke this, you know, very sympathetic type of a response. You know, unfortunately, my guy wasn't really in much of a position to respond because he had to go to the hospital. And, and I mean, this guy's, this guy's pretty messed up. But that was the issue that was there is that now this guy has to be accountable to his work. And he has to look his boss in the eye and say, hey, I was doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And I know that they're going to find it out. And I know that I can't lie about it because that's going to come back and it's going to bite me. And so they have to own up to it right there. And uh, it creates a lot of problems in lawsuits. Now that I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that not only do you look at what happened at the time of the accident, but you're actually looking to establish that track record so that there's a precedent and you could say, Hey, it wasn't just like they texted today while they were driving every day for the last four months, they've texted at least four times a day on average while they've been driving. And so being able to establish that sort of a, of a pattern has got to be so much easier for an attorney to, to win a case against a client. And so everybody listening should be, is probably going right now going, "Uh (laughs) Oh, I better stop doing this because I could have a major problem. Let's take it a step further than that. If somebody has been texting, let's say that, that they shoot out a text, uh, 30 seconds before this big accident happens. And they say, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. And so they quickly go back and they delete that text. Still there. And I find out that they deleted that text. That's called spoliation of evidence. And that seriously compounds the issue because they knew that there was evidence that was going to be used in a lawsuit against them that they destroyed. And then things become a lot worse. So, um, yeah, it's it's there's different ways to get at it. And it's a problem for folks who yeah. don't want to have that digital footprint That's because crazy. they'll be held accountable for and, it. And they just don't think, because, again, anytime we know we are caught, we try to eliminate the evidence quickly. And now it's very mm-hmm. difficult even committing crimes on the street uh, because of video surveillance now, right? So there's so many ways to pick up uh, the investigation compared to years ago, right? And you're able to grab and use a lot of different research that you didn't have to, right? Before you couldn't before, right? Absolutely, yeah. And video yeah. cameras and, and, are everywhere too. I mean, they're every every building, practically every business, every street corner, every trap light. They all have video surveillance. You got people driving around with dash cams, and you, all you got to do is go on YouTube and do a search for you know dash cam accidents, and man, you'll find some crazy stuff. <laughs> You, you certainly can. You certainly can. And, you know, to be fair, you got to have an attorney who understands this and who's willing to put the work into uh, into the case to actually drive these things because no defendant is going to want to produce that. Every defendant is going to say, no, it's irrelevant or, you know, I don't have it. you got to go and you got to do the work, and so it's important. You know, and I don't want this to be too much of a plug for myself, but find an attorney who will work hard and that actually, you know, maybe has a military mindset and understands that there's an objective to be achieved and you know torpedoes be damned i'm going to achieve that objective and i'm going to drive to to whatever that goal is and so that's another you know military mentality that has shaped my practice and and it's more of just a winning mindset than anything else excellent that's awesome 
and like I said, I mean, there are going to be people listening that are going, um, maybe I shouldn't be making that uh, text. Maybe I shouldn't be checking that post, even if it is at a stop sign or a stoplight because of the possibility of it coming back and biting them down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then, you know, it's not just individuals, right? We're not just talking about somebody who's texting. I mean, the biggest case, and this is a great segue into another safety issue, the biggest case that I'm on right now is this case where the 3M company, and the, the 3M company is on a Forbes 100 list. They're a $30 billion a year company, and they have issues with, you know, emails that have been sent and digital records of testing that they tried to manipulate and tell the federal government, hey, you know what? The earplugs are quality earplugs. They perform up to the specifications that you demand of us, knowing that all those representations were false. And now there's this trail. There's this digital trail showing, hey, you know what? 3M lied. And you just can't do that. And, and those are the allegations that we're making in these lawsuits. i got 101 lawsuits on file right now. And I've got a lot of folks who are coming to me and saying, hey, you know what? There's a guy that I want to. I know he's aggressive, and I know he's a former military guy and all the rest of it. And, um, and so we're prosecuting cases. But a big component of those cases is what data exists within the, within the 3M servers about this testing and about the emails that are sent back and forth between the, uh, the, the folks who are responsible for the testing and the executives at the company knowing that they're defrauding the government. Uh, so, yeah, digital trails are not just something for individuals to be aware of. It's something for corporations to be aware of, too. And governments. <laughs> and governments, yeah. We've seen that in the news, too. So that's a, so this, this lawsuit that is going on right now involves the use of earplugs that were issued to military personnel to k- protect their hearing, I'm assuming, in combat zones with explosions and gunfire and stuff like that. And it did not do its job, and that people ended up having hearing loss and hearing damage? Well, exactly. Um, I would I would just uh, kind of qualify that it didn't do its job because those earplugs were sold to the government with the knowledge that it wasn't going to do their, do their job. So it wasn't just some device that malfunctioned. It was designed and it was knowingly designed not to perform the role that it was supposed to perform. And, and that's a very serious um, both accusation, but thought that we would have a U.S. contractor knowing that they have contracted to provide equipment, safety equipment, to soldiers in combat, knowing that soldiers in combat are going to rely on these little devices to protect their hearing, and 3M saying, you know what, you know, to the extent that we can monetize these soldiers' health and safety, and certainly their hearing, let's monetize that. Let's put those profits in our piggy bank. And that's exactly what they did, and that's what these lawsuits are about. You can't do that. Yeah, you know, no, they, that's I mean, so bad. It's crazy, but still, it's not easy winning, right? Even when this lawsuit comes out, even though they know they're at fault, it's very hard to get the company to give up that they were at fault, right? Well, I, yeah, yeah, it's going to be very difficult. And one of the reasons that it's going to be difficult, now we're taking on that challenge, Right. I mean, 3M has uh, as much money at their disposal as they can you know, possibly summon. Right. So they're going to hire some great lawyers and they're, you know, very creative legal arguments. But at the end of the day, the facts are what the facts are. And right now, the facts appear to show that 3M knowingly produced defective 
earplugs. It was actually a subsidiary there, a uh, subsidiary that they later acquired, but they knew that the earplugs were defective. They manipulated them. They sold them to the government. They had knowledge that soldiers were coming back with tinnitus and with hearing loss, and they just didn't care. And they never told the government, hey, guys, you know, we got we to gotta take a step back. They never did that. They just went on with it as long as they possibly could until some whistleblower finally blew the whistle and said, hey, you know, we got to pay some attention to this. And then everything started coming down. And, and right now, God, hell's raining, <laughs> hell is raining down on 3M because you got all these service members, all these soldiers saying, hey, I've got ringing in my ears. I've got, I've got tinnitus. I've got hearing loss. I mean, I've got folks calling me that are 27 years old and they require hearing aids just wow. to their kids in the next room. And I, what kind of price can you put on that? Obviously, 3M put a price on it, right? I mean, no question about that. 3M said, okay, look, we understand that these kids are not going to be able to hear their kids grow up, right? We understand that. They put a price on that. But society at large, the moral society, you can't even put a price on that. Jeez, I mean, that's, this is a lawsuit. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm all fired up and I get passionate, but these are my folks. These are my soldiers. No, and, and it's and not it, right. It, it, oh, you're, you're, oh, absolutely. And you know what? You're, you're entirely, you know, justified in, in being so upset. And anybody who is, you know, experiencing that and knowing now that it looks like, and, you know, we can't say for sure, obviously, but, you know, it looks like that it was done with this, this intent of really looking at the, those military members as being not important enough to adequately, you know, provide them with safety equipment. And now they're going to pay that price, not just for the time that they were there, you know, a, a, you know, one tour, two tours, two years, five years, whatever. But now for the rest of their lives, they've got to deal with a problem that should have never existed in the first place. Exactly. exactly. And, and, you know, for a couple pennies, yeah, 3M could have cured that so, defect. So how and has they the chose media, not to. has the media gone after this as well? Have you been able to get the coverage a lot of other places regarding this lawsuit or is it really a gag order not to really explain things and get it out there that far yet? What, oh no, it? no, no. It's it's out there. The information's out there and, and in fact, I mean, there's more information about this than I could ever convey on this show. Um, we we got a site, kind of an informational site that we're directing folks to. It's called uh, www.militaryearplug.com, and it's singular, militaryearplug.com. And so there's all kinds of information out there. And, you know, our goal, yeah, we're representing folks in this litigation, but our goal is really to get the message and the information out there. That these service members, you know, that they have recourse. And part of the recourse has been that they go to the VA, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and they file a claim with the VA. And the VA gives them some type of compensation. And they say, hey, you know what? We recognize that your hearing loss, your tinnitus was caused by service to your country. And so we're going to give you $140 a month, right? And the VA does what it can, right? But now you have 3M in this position where they're the folks that ultimately cause the thing, right? I mean, a whole generation of soldiers now has hearing loss. And, and let's not even go into how this has affected the combat readiness of the Army, okay? Because a lot of the folks that are deploying back have stayed in the Army, and now they especially can't hear the orders of their commanding officers, right? So 3M now, has really yeah, done— Now you're talking about something that could end up killing somebody. 
if you don't and, hear the right command. <laughs> it's been it's been very hard for me to stay away from using words like treasonous um, because it's on the tip of my tongue because I, I just don't know how. You know, I mean, you can describe this as negligent behavior. You can describe it as fraud. But I don't know that those words fully conceptualize the knowledge that you are impairing the combat readiness of the military by so fundamentally affecting the health of the soldiers and the sailors and the Marines and the airmen who go out and serve. And and so, you know, I, I, I try to stay away from that. But gosh, every time I get fired up about this and I think about the money that 3M put in their pocket, um, you know, it, it just slips out. And so, so I think that that's where my mindset is. And, and my little group, we got a, we, it's not a little group. We got a, a very strong group of attorneys that are prosecuting these cases. Um, I, I partnered with a firm. My firm is called Bell Rose and Cobos. Um, and I partnered with a firm called Abraham Watkins, one of the best tort firms in the country. And we are, we are going all out on these cases. And so, um, and, and these yeah, are cases that we're yeah. going to be with for a long time. It's, it's, uh, it's a crazy th- situation uh, when you have these big cases because it takes a long time to finally get a settlement. I have uh, another client of mine in social media and branding that I'm doing some SEO work for and trying to get the word out with a shell corporation that he is trying to get a major a bunch of people to get involved in the lawsuit. So we're trying to get the word out. Uh, regarding this, how much of a challenge is that to finally get uh, enough people to help in a big case like you talked about with 3M, to get that and many people involved to help uh, with a specific lawsuit like this one? To, to file claims? Yeah, to file mean? claims and have enough to uh, to get, I guess, to, to, to get the claim, claim filed. Yeah, um... You know, right now, I think we're at a tipping point where these cases are going forward. My group so far has fired the, filed the most lawsuits uh, by, of any attorney in the country, and that's, that's 101 so far. But there are thousands of people out there who are kind of positioning themselves um, for these type of lawsuits, and they're going through the screening, and that's what uh, the www.militaryearplug site does, is it kind of assists us with, you know, vetting, making sure that the person used the earplugs uh, making sure that it was somehow connected, the injury is connected to the use of the earplugs and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's thousands of soldiers who have been affected. And so um, I don't know if that answers the question that you asked, but if not, I'll give it another go. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of follow up the question, meaning any type of lawsuit that a big company or somebody took advantage of you in that type of a situation. And you need the more evidence, the more people that have suffered through it, the better chance of winning a court case. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that the likelihood of success is tied to the number of plaintiffs. I think that the, the likelihood of success is tied to what we're able to discover from 3M and everything that we've discovered so far indicates that, these are folks that are, are liable. Um, certainly, if there are soldiers out there who are affected, who have tinnitus or who have hearing loss, and this is a, an available uh, source that they can that they can go into and excuse me and, and recover for some of those damages, then absolutely they should do that. But the success of the lawsuit is not contingent on the number of people who, who file claims. 
Right. Just the more people that you would have, it just means that the bigger the class action would be. And it's it's not a class action. It's a mass tort. And there's a lot of okay. attorneys out there. That's, that's one of the issues with a case like this is you get a bunch of, of kind of latecomers. You get a bunch of attorneys who just run to it because it's the latest thing, the hottest thing. And so, uh, so they all put up their websites really quickly. And, and uh, there's a lot of incorrect information out there. People are calling it a class action. It's actually a mass tort action, uh, which is fundamentally different for very important reasons than a class action. Um, okay. So I, I guess that just underscores why your choice of attorney is important, right? A lot of these attorneys, and, and I don't want to cast too broad of a net, but there's a lot of attorneys out there that are just signing the cases up and referring them to the, uh, the first lawyer that's actually going to exactly. work on the case yeah. and give them a good deal. So, so, I mean, I guess going into the whole preparedness thing, you got to do your research. You got to find out, hey, is this going to be somebody that I want to trust? Is this, I mean, a lawsuit is an important thing. Okay, especially when you are the person that's bringing a lawsuit. Okay, that's that's a claim that you own. That's a part of who you are, and you want to make sure that the person, that the, the the advocate that you hire to go into the ring and to represent you, is best suited for that. That they understand the issues of the case. That they have the money to carry it through. That they have the legal expertise. That they have all their ducks in a row. Okay, that they have the right mindset, which is I'm not going to walk into this case and look for the first settlement. Hey, those are all important aspects to consider when you hire an attorney. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of folks get surprised that the first person that they find on the phone book isn't the right person for them. Sure. Well, and I think you just made a great argument for why it is so important, you know, in, in a case like this. And really, I mean, you know, hiring a, an attorney for anything, you have to make sure that they are, you know, the best possible person you can find for the you know, the particulars of what it is that you're dealing with. And, uh, you know, I, I wish you the best of luck with this and, and hope everything, you know, continues along the path that it, that it does. And, and it gets some sort of, you know, you know, assistance to, to these soldiers. And it's unfortunate because, you know, there are people that are going out there and they're putting their lives and their health on the line for, you know, the people of this country and they do it in, you know, knowing or hoping or thinking that they are adequately prepared, that they do have the proper equipment. And so to find out that, in fact, in this instance, it looks like they did not get the right equipment. Uh, that's something that to me is completely unacceptable. And I and I'm with you. And that, that really fires me up because, you know, as a, as a somebody who did not serve, but yet who knows a lot of people who did. And anytime I ever see anyone that has a shirt that says any branch of the military or a hat that says any branch of the military, I make it a point to say, hey, thank you for your service, you know, and, and they all appreciate that because I know that they're doing something that I didn't and that I couldn't, and they deserve the best treatment. They de deserve the best equipment. They deserve everything that we can do for them. And it sounds, Andrew, like you're doing the best job that you possibly can for them. And I applaud you for that. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I, I, I know that, uh, that we're probably short on time here, but you know, you raise a, a good point that I think is going to be relevant in this lawsuit, which is the parties to the lawsuit. On the one hand, the folks who are damaged, who are bringing the claims are folks who volunteered to go overseas to fight for their country. I mean, come on, does it get much, you know, much more honorable than that? 
folks who willingly sacrifice their life for ideals that we hold valuable. And on the other hand, you have an almost cartoon villain that provides these folks, knowing what they're about to do, knowing that they're about to go in harm's way, gives them shoddy equipment. I mean, there's just not more of a, of, of a canyon between the parties and what they represent and what they stand for. That's so, totally unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. Guys, I really appreciate you having me on and, and be able to answer yes, some questions. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if folks have, you know, if they're more interested, like I said, we got an informational site out there and they can go there and just kind of grab some information if they want and they can do whatever they want with it. Um, you know, certainly they can contact us by that website, but it's, you know, one more time, it's www.militaryearplug.com. So, you know, you know, whatever I can do to help. Well, we appreciate you, you know, coming on today and, and giving us some of those insights that you shared uh, because it is a uh, very interesting when you have a military perspective for people who do not have the military background. And so uh, greatly appreciate it, Andrew. And, uh, you know, let us know how it goes. Certainly will. Uh, I'd love to update you guys at some point in the future. Hey, Andrew, you got the right uh, word, get the word out. And definitely uh, our military needs to be taken care of and we shouldn't have to go in harm's way, especially with faulty equipment. And this story is terrible. So hopefully you are able to recover what they've lost, which is very difficult with hearing, but at least uh, 3M needs to be held accountable for it. So thanks for calling. Well, great. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate y'all. All All right. Fantastic. So thank you for tuning into safety talk. And uh, next week we're going to have another fantastic show for everybody. Uh, We're actually going to be hearing from someone who has been a victim. And so I think it may even get a little emotional because it's going to be something that we haven't had. And I think it's going to be very important for people to hear how being a victim can affect you. And of course, we'll talk about ways that you can prevent yourself from becoming a victim. So see everybody on our uh, next show. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.